Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts like today, best-selling authors, and mamas around the world. Hi, everyone. I want to remind you to join our private Facebook community and also follow us on Instagram at Atomic Moms. I've been having so much fun with the Insta stories. So a few weeks ago, I was sitting across from Katherine Reynolds Lewis, a recent podcast guest who had reached out to me when she was in town. And I asked her how she got her book, The Good News About Bad Behavior, done. And she said, oh, oh, it was my accountability friend. Laura Vanderkam. She's got this new book about time management, and she has four young kids. You got to have her on the podcast. I was like, well, I've got a lot planned, but, uh, but uh, I am really drowning in terms of time management, and I don't know what I'm doing. And yes, 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 yes. So I was so thrilled to get off the clock, feel less busy while getting more done in the mail from Laura with a sweet little handwritten note. And I was really excited to learn about how to become more accountable with my time. And then I saw that she tracks her time in these 30-minute increments with spreadsheets. And I was like, well, this this will be interesting. And we're going to get into all that in a moment. But I want to say right up top I was so surprised by this book. Off the Clock Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done. It just came out on May 29th. And what I was surprised by is how good it feels to read. It's like one of those books that you want to read in the bathtub. Uh, and now that I've read the book, I might have some more time to be in the bathtub. And I think I'm going to give it to all of the dads I know for Father's Day. Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management and productivity books, including Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do, Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. She is the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. She lives outside Philadelphia with her husband and four children. Yes, everybody, for children and blogs at lauravandercam.com. Laura, I know you are very intentional with your time. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I was wondering if we could kick off this episode by sharing with our listeners the central question of this very dear book. Yes, well, thank you so much for that really kind introduction. I so appreciate it. I was I was writing down that quote that it's one of those books you want to read in the bathtub, and now you have more time to be in the bathtub. I think I'm going to put that on the cover for the Woo-hoo! paperback edition. Yes, that's <laughs> always my goal with the podcast. <laughs> All I want to do is be a blurb. <laughs> just be a blurb for the book. I know that's awesome. I love that. Uh, no, well, the the central tenet of off the clock is. You know, we've all met these people who have like a ton going on in their lives, and yet they seem remarkably calm about their time. Like they simply appear to have all the time in the world. And so my question is, what are these people doing? Like what choices are they making with their time? What strategies are they adapting to allow them to feel so calm about their time when everyone else seems to be running around shouting, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I I wrote this book to, to find that out. So my grandmother passed away two days ago. So this book is really resonating with me on like a deeper level uh, than it would have if it had crossed my desk a month ago. And I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners 
how we can change our story, as you say, from I'm too busy to, and I'm quoting you here, I have time for what matters to me. Yeah, I'm very sorry to hear about your loss. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, these things are what always focuses our brain on the, you know, what time is to us. I mean, time is in the grand scheme, very precious. And it does ultimately shift from one side of the hourglass to the other. And so it's this question of how we truly wish to spend our time, because of course, as the saying goes, how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. And I think the issue of, you know, running around with the story of I'm so busy, I'm so busy, is it keeps us from living the lives we want. I mean, we think about all these things that we could be doing, but we're not doing because I'm so busy or, you know, the legacy we'd like to leave, um, you know, how we'd like to interact with the people we love. And yet we feel like we don't have time for these things because, again, busy, busy, busy. And I'm not saying people aren't busy. We obviously are. (laughs) We have a lot going on in our lives. But how if we choose to change our story to I do have time for the things that matter to us, how would that change? things? You know, and what I think does happen is that once we have a story, we start to see evidence that supports it. Um, So if you're walking around with the story that I'm so busy, well, you start seeing those moments where you are so busy. If you walk around with the story that I do have time for what matters to me, you start to see the places where you do have space and you start to see, well, oh, you know, I have 10 minutes here. It's not, you know, gobs of time, but I do have 10 minutes to read and I could choose to read with it instead of, you know, scrolling around on random stuff online. And once you start using those 10 minute chunks to read, you're like, oh, I am the kind of person who has the time to read. And that that's a much better statement of identity, a statement of control. You know, there's plenty of things in life we can't control, but there are things we can. And I think making the best use of our time involves recognizing that. What What are ways that we can change that story then? Because I will admit that in the past, I would really kind of get off on the whole, like, I'm just so busy, I can't get any, like, I'm so self-important because so much is going on in (laughs) my life. Like, how, what are some steps we can take to change that? Yeah, well, I'm glad you used the word self-important because I think that's a real key component here. Um, I didn't want to use it myself, but uh, (laughs) one of the things about the busy narrative is that it is about how important we are. I mean, you know, being busy means that demand for our time is high, right? That everyone wants a piece of us, both at work, at home. Um, And and so that's a way of saying how important we are. And of course, you'd never answer that question. So how was your weekend? I want you to know how important I am. So instead, it's like, oh, I'm so busy, right? Um, But, you know, it's, it's, not exactly the the best story to walk around with. I think there's a couple of things we can do to change the story. Um, some are practical. I mean, one of the reasons I do track my time is I like to have a good sense of where the time really goes. I like to see that there is time available for various things that I want to do. Um, if I'm telling myself a story that I don't have time to read, that's probably not true because I can look at my time log and see that I do, in fact, have time to read or I decided this past year I was going to join a choir because I can see on my log, like, I do have time. Like, I could tell myself I don't, but it's not actually true. Um, You know, then there's other things that are, like, more philosophical, too, which is that, you know, all of us are in our own little worlds. I mean, we tend to think the world revolves around us, and it just does not. What? Um, It doesn't? I mean, the vast... Get off my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But for, I mean, you know regardless of what we do for most of us, the earth is going to keep spinning on its axis. Like this is not, you know, 
it's all less important in the grand scheme than you might think. And, and so once you realize that, um, you say, well, there, you know, I have a couple of choices. One is I can keep walking around with this busy story and tell myself I'm so put upon and have no time for the things I like, or else I can just live my life the way I want to live. And if I'm not hurting anyone, then it's probably okay. Let's talk about this time log you mentioned, because I used to schedule out my day by the hour. Like I would, you know, this always would happen in January, right? I'd be like, I'm going to be on top of things this year. And so I would plot out my day hour by hour of what I was hoping to achieve. And it would always go off the rails by 1130. (laughs) And so what you're talking about is tracking your time like as you spend it. So it's more like reflecting back on it. So how did you come up with this? And what are the benefits? Yeah, well, it's funny that you say, I mean, people have tried to send me what I would call prospective time logs. <laughs> like, they wish they would spend their time this week. I'm like, well, geez, if you're going to do that, let's make it perfect, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going right. to work exactly 40. I'm going to get to the gym five times. I'm going to sleep eight hours every night. <laughs> you know, but so I just find that sort of funny because, I mean, until time is spent, mm-hmm. you, you don't actually know how you're going to spend it. The future is completely blank. Um, there are probabilities that certain things will happen, but, uh, it's, it's until it actually happens, it's blank. But anyway, the, the idea is that you write down what you're doing. Um, I tend to do this about three or four times a day. I check in with what I've done since the last time I checked in. Uh, I have these spreadsheets, which I'm, I'm hoping I didn't just get like half your listenership to go away right there. When I no, 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 no. See, guys, <laughs> I'm not a spreadsheet person. I don't even know how to work Excel, but you're, we're all sticking. We're here. We're here with you, Laura. Keep going. Okay. That's good. And that's streaming for the exits. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they, they have, it is a spreadsheet that has the days of the week along the top. It has half hours along the left side from 5am to 5am. So the spreadsheet goes 5am Monday to 5am Monday. And I write down what I'm doing. And it's pretty, um, you know, high level. It's not every single bathroom break or anything like that. But it is in half hour blocks, roughly what I did with that half hour. And then at the end of the week, I take a quick look over it. I save it and I open the next one. Every six months or so, I go through and add it up and see what, you know, the tallies are for different categories, um, you know, what my memories are of that time, what I like about it, what I don't like about it. And yeah, it's, it's helped me be a lot more mindful about where my time goes. See, I love that you say that it helps you be more mindful because for some of us, the idea of that breaks us out in hives. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, how? So people had a bad experience with Excel at some point. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I think it was probably my computer class in high school. <laughs> But I, w- one thing that I love is how you kind of call us on, you, you do it so much more gracefully. I'll do it in Ellie speak, but you call us on our BS about what we think we're doing with our time. I had um, a listener reach out to me. Her name's Monique and uh, everyone can follow her on Instagram at Brunch Pants. She has beautiful photos. Anyway, she had talked to me about... Um, what's the method where you like set the clock for 25 minutes? Now I can't remember the, the Pomodoro name. method. Yeah. yeah. So everyone look up the Pomodoro method as well. I didn't think I had time to clean out my closet. I set my timer for 25 minutes and it was crazy how much I could actually get done in 25 minutes. And then once I got started, I didn't want to stop. And then I'd set the timer again for another 25 minutes. But the idea that I don't have time to do this that proved to me that it's just not true, that actually I can get so much more accomplished in 25 minutes than I would think if it's something that I'm resisting. 
What were you most surprised by in looking at your spreadsheet? You've been doing this for how, how Three long? Years. Three, Three years. years. That's now. so crazy. Um, so the first year, there were sort of more surprises than there were later um, as I got sort of used to it. Uh, one interesting one, I, I, I do like to you know point out the gaps between people's perception and reality. One interesting gap is often how many hours people are working. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we tend to have this story, well, we feel like we're working very hard. We feel like we're working a lot. And so we put a high number on it. Well, is that number true? Well, who knows? I mean, if you get paid by the hour, you know how many hours you're working. If you don't, then it's a bit more nebulous question. And uh, so people have a tendency to um, exaggerate and potentially one up each other over <laughs> just how many hours they were working. And, you know, I laugh about this tendency, um, but I kind of did it myself. I, uh, you know, used to think I worked about 50 hours a week because I tracked my time here and there a few weeks over the years. And, um, you know, that was always the number I'd worked about 50 hours a week. And then I started tracking my time continuously in April of 2015. And I realized that in the past I had chosen very specific weeks to track namely mm. weeks when I worked 50 hours a week. Cause mm-hmm. that was the vision I had of my life. Like that was the one I wanted to put out there. Like this is my typical week. This is what shows me as I wish to see Laura. Uh, and when I was tracking my time continuously, obviously I couldn't do that. I couldn't choose what was a typical week and what was not. And so then I found out that my long-term average was a lot closer to 40. And you know, that's a solid work week, but it's not 50. Like there are 10 whole hours here that are going somewhere completely different than um, in my mind they were going. And, and here I, speak about this. I write about this. I talk about the tendency to exaggerate work hours and I do it myself. So, you know, it's, there are these tendencies. There's, you know, I had been telling myself like, oh, I don't really have much time to read or I'm not reading all that much. I guess that was was the phrase I was, I was going on my, in my head. I tracked that first year. I read about 327 hours that first year, which is, which is pretty good. Like that's almost an hour a day. But I couldn't really think of many great books I had read in those 327 hours, which is enough time to read a whole shelf of amazing books, if you think about it. Uh, And and what was going on is that because I didn't think I was reading all that much, I wasn't being very intentional at the time. And so I was just reading whatever was easiest, which tended to be, you know, the magazines that show up or like random headlines and stuff like that. And, you know, when I realized I was reading I decided I'm going to be better about allocating these hours to real books. And so I built in time to choose books. And I noticed when I was not reading a book and would make sure I'd get a book around to read. And so um, I started reading a lot better, had a much more satisfying reading life as a result. It's funny doing this podcast while I'm raising my, she's four and a half, and then I've got a 10-month-old. Like you can tell that I'm getting out of the infancy stage right now because I'm finally asking questions about like, like, what are the takeaways? <laughs> you know, like, like when I was <laughs> well, pregnant, months, you're, you're still pretty in it. I'm in months. it. I'm in it. But I like can see the the fog clearing. And so, oh, it, you, yeah. you know, like if you listen to the episodes while I'm pregnant, it's just uh, it's just like a totally different vibe. And now I'm like, so what can I how can I get this done? But I'm I'm wondering if can you share with us your Friday afternoon planning trick? Because I love this. This is actually this feels like something that I should be implementing in my life because I think not only will it help me be more intentional about how I'm spending my time, if I can focus on these three categories you talk about, but also there's like the idea of it, it calms me down a bit. What are, what are, what's your Friday afternoon trick for planning? Yeah, I, I think 
you know, planning, the reason to plan is that it does calm us down. It keeps our brains from like going over and over. What am I supposed to be doing? Well, Mm -hmm. you've made a plan for what you're supposed to be doing. And that doesn't mean the plan always happens, but I think at least knowing what you want to do increases the chances that it actually happens. Uh, so, So my Friday afternoon strategy is to take some time on Friday afternoon and plan the week ahead and make yourself a three category priority list for the next week. Uh, the three categories are career, relationships, self. And, and if somebody is not, you know, actively in the workforce at the moment, you know, maybe it could be sort of long-term career planning. It could be, you know, things you're sort of doing to keep your hand in it, side projects, um, you know, volunteering or anything else you're doing sort of keeping your skills there, um, you know, especially if you're, you're planning on being back in in the future. But career, relationship, self, short list, two to three items in each. But the reason to do the three categories is it's really hard to make a three category list and then leave one of the categories blank. <laughs> like, you know, we just don't do that when we make category lists. We're like, well, I got to put something in it, leaving you know, all of them. So it's so right there that helps you have a more balanced life. But just look at the next week, um, see where those can go in. And, you know, I think the real, the real pro tip here, if you want an extra little way to tune up this exercise a bit is to front load the week as much as possible and put as many of these priorities toward the first beginning part of the week, because what happens is stuff comes up. Uh, it could be good stuff, could be bad stuff, probably a little bit of both, but, but stuff is going to come up. And so by putting your priorities toward the front of the week, you get as many of them done before everything gets away from you. And, and so that also increases the chances that it happens. Uh, some of us are always late. I know I'm late often. I was not late for this interview, though, because I know it's so important to you. <laughs> I'm very optimistic about my time, as you also mentioned in your book. And I think I'm way less maintenance in getting ready than I actually am. Like, I think I'm like a two minute, like get out of the shower and go gal. And it turns out I'm not. I also hate the anxiety of being somewhere early. And I think I'm a secret adrenaline junkie. So running into a room, like apologizing feels a lot better to me (laughs) than actually just sitting there by myself, biting my nails. This probably goes back to when I was an actor and you get to that, you know, you sign in for the audition and you're waiting in that hallway and it's just torture. Give us a pep talk. Why should I not be late? Tell me how rude I am. Tell me tell me what I can do to get my act together. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that you're an optimistic person. I think often lateness is a function of extreme optimism. Like people think it takes 20 minutes to get somewhere because it took 20 minutes like once. <laughs> and they keep they keep remembering that one time, right? They got to hold on to that one time. You know what that's um, like? It's like in LA, everyone goes out of town for the week of Thanksgiving and it's like a ghost town. It's like I'm using that time. That is your baseline. Yeah, for my commute. As opposed to recognizing that, you know, most of the time there are other people on the road as well. (laughs) Those other people. Other people. I know. They they just thwart everything. So, you know, I I think it helps to get a more accurate perception. Um, One of the reasons, again, to track time is that it it becomes harder to tell yourself that it takes 20 minutes to get to work when day after day it takes Mm. you 40 um, you know, at some point, the weight of the evidence starts to add up and can can maybe start nudging that story toward a, a direction of the truth. I, I think you can also recognize that if you do see this as an issue, like if you're late and you feel bad about it, then then try just adding in extra time. I mean, the people who are on time most of the time, that's almost always what they're doing. They're just sort of adding in a buffer to what they think it will take. Uh, so it's the opposite of being optimistic. They're pessimistic. They're building in time for what <laughs> they think will go wrong. 
Uh, and if it doesn't go wrong, I guess they're there early. And, and if they do it well, they have something to do when they're there early, right? They travel around with a book or, or anything like that. Mm. I use the time to listen to music or meditate or something, um, mm. you know, send some notes, uh, whatever it is that you particularly wish to do at that time. Uh, but, you know, and then when, when stuff goes wrong, they're, they're still on time. So, so that's what happens with building in, in that buffer. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's obviously the sense of recognizing that you might be disappointing someone and, and how that feels to you. I mean, because often it's like, oh, well, you have trouble getting moving. But if you recognize that you will be disappointing someone and focus on that disappointment, then that might nudge you to get moving a little <laughs> bit faster than focusing on the sense of like, oh, I don't really like sitting in my chair for five minutes before someone gets there. I mean, the odds of you're actually sitting there for five minutes are low because stuff will come up. Right. Uh, so, right. you know, sometimes that helps as well. I love everybody. Disappointing others is a great motivating factor for me. So I think I might never be late again. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, that's, you know, there are times lateness happens to everyone. I, I, I like to, you know, I have an opening joke in my talks so where I talk about the time I was late to my own speech on time management. Oh, uh, you know, it's just one of those things to warm up the audience a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's true. You can't always control things. You can't control, like, getting to the venue on time, but then they've shut down a street around it, you know? Right. Obviously, other people were in the venue before because they've been there for the conference during the day. I have not. Mm. I'm arriving there later. And so I'm caught up in the street closure around the venue. So, I mean, you can't always deal with stuff like this ahead of time. But the thing is, if you are almost always on time, then people tend to understand the few times you are late because it almost never happens, right? So they're Mm -hmm. like, they know something out of the ordinary happened because your lateness is out of the ordinary. However, if you are late every single time, then, you know, it's a little bit less endearing. Endearing. (laughs) uh, Okay, Laura, Four kids. I love the stories you share about the youngest. You know, it just feels so good to read a mom complaining about how her youngest doesn't sleep at all. Like, <laughs> I uh, I love the commiserating aspect of uh, reading this book. What advice do you have for moms who feel guilty about their time, about, you know, for example, when I'm I've been saying this on the podcast lately that when I'm with my children, I feel bad that I'm not moving the ball forward with the podcast. And when I'm working on the podcast, I feel bad that I'm not with my youngest. What, how do we deal with that? Well, I don't know. I think that's an interesting question because I'm, you know, guilt is about somebody being hurt. And I'm not sure that in either scenario that you're describing, someone is actually being hurt by what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, your, your kids are, I'm taking a wild guess among the luckiest people on the planet. Um, so, yes. you know, let's, let's put that out there. They're, they're fine. Um, you know, the podcast, if, if you're not working on the podcast, well, nobody's going to work on anything a hundred percent of the time. And if you did, like, I'm not sure that the marginal benefit to it would be all that great. Mm. You know, I, I, I guess that guilt is an emotion we have because it allows us to make amends when we have in fact hurt someone. It's a way that the tribe can put itself back together um, so that it can continue to function even after we've gotten mad at each other. Um, But, you know, absent someone being hurt, I I don't really see that it's a a particularly useful um, way of feeling. So yeah, if you just remind yourself how lucky your kids are, um, that all the stuff they have in their lives, the good things they have going on in their lives, 
Um, you know, think about the awesome things that are going on with your projects that you're doing. Uh, you know, remind yourself of how many things go well with it. I think that mm. can lessen the guilt on, on both sides. That's so good. I feel a running theme here of uh, my self-importance getting in the way. <laughs> Like my children great. are doing great. Like they're having a yeah. good time right now. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't really matter if you're there or not. I mean, they're probably fine regardless. <laughs> I, now, I, I the thing with the you know you mentioned the fourth kid being a bit difficult, which is true. He is um, in, in a way that the others were or not. Oh, but share, the good thing about share. about him being the fourth kid is I know it's nothing I did. It's nothing. Yeah. I did. It is who he is just as all of them are their own little people. And I'm my own person. Like I'm, you know, I, I don't think that any of us are 100, 100% the result of how we were parented or anything like that. And, you know, if, if you recognize your own sense of agency and that you're your own person, I think we can see that with our, our children too. And so I always find, you know, a lot of the writings from people in the throes of new parenthood of how they're going to do X, Y, and Z. And this is going to, you know, this great thing they've discovered or whatever. It's just like, you know, <laughs> all right. Like maybe you're gardening and teaching your kids about vegetables, got them to eat vegetables, but maybe you also have the kind of kids who have t- good taste buds. Like they don't have, you know, the sensitivities that others do. Cause I can tell you, I have four children. They've all seen the garden. They've all seen the produce. They've all selected <laughs> stuff. They've all helped with it. One of them will eat anything. The others will not. It's nothing I did yes. differently. Yeah, it's just that they are their own little people. Totally. This reminds me of, of listeners who have been with us since 2014. Oh my God! When Sabrina was a year old, I would talk about how I would take her to the Mommy and Me yoga class, and um, you know, I, and when I was pregnant, I would do the prenatal yoga. And then she was, she's just like a wild maniac. She's awesome. She loves doing yoga because she's super physical, but she'd rather be wrestling with me. Yeah, yeah. And so it's that, you know, it's like, no, I, I did do the, yeah, I did the hypnobirthing and look at my maniac. <laughs> like, <laughs> because she's her she's and you're her, you and, I'm and you're not the same people. Yes. And you can't force like what you think is being, you know, the way somebody should be onto another human being. And the fact that that other human being is your child, like doesn't change that fact mm. or, you know, that some children, you know, it's like, oh, well, here, I'll have a sticker chart and that will help them learn to behave. It's mm-hmm. like, OK, well, what do you do with the kid who does not care about your right. sticker chart? <laughs> Totally. You you use your sticker chart as a challenge. (laughs) Like, let me see how quickly I can get that thing ripped off the wall. That is so funny. It's so true. Because Sabrina actually is the opposite where she will literally do anything for a sticker. And so Dr. Phil always says that (laughs) he always has, what's the quote? It's like, everybody has their currency. And like for Sabrina, her currency is stickers. So I'll I'll get these books about potty training and, you know, and a lot of the more progressive parenting styles, you know, don't recommend bribing your children with stickers. But I'm telling everybody like stickers worked for Sabrina. She was potty trained like in a day once I had that sticker chart up. So it just depends on who the child is. And that's such a great point. A lot of parents also have issues carving out time for their partners, especially in these early years. And I love what you say about getting intentional about your time in the evenings. What are some ways that you have found to reconnect with your partner? Well, I think there's, you know, a couple of things you can do. One is to, you know, 
we have often have some time after the kids go to bed that you can use to talk. Maybe not. We're having bedtime battles again. Uh (laughs) But, you know, you a lot of times people just sort of watch TV and then go to bed. Well, it's like, well, you could do that maybe like two nights a week. So not every night, but like two nights a week, you decide to like have a glass of wine together and chat. You don't have to pay for a sitter. You're still at your house. Like there's nothing crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, that's what you're going to do. I think that carving out some time without the kids is always good. I mean, I think people feel guilty, especially if they're working during the week and they're like, oh, I didn't want to, you know, leave the kid with the sitter. It's like, well, why not? You know, like they're sleeping anyway. Or if even if they're not sleeping, I mean, heck, sometimes it's fun to get away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, go, go do something and, and hang out with your, your partner and have, have fun together. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, just being creative, even about like finding time for intimacy, for instance, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be at night, like maybe nap time or you get everyone watching videos or something, but just, you know, make sure it happens. And it's easy to not stay connected, you sort of assume that person will still be there and they wind up at the bottom of the list. But another reason to make relationship goals for the week, um, you know, I said you make your three priority list, career, relationship, self, is to remind yourself to put things on, you know, your agenda that are, you know, help being intentional about your relationship, both with your spouse, maybe your friends as well. Those are other people that you wind up not spending a lot of time with during those, those busy years. But, but nudging it onto the priority list often makes it happen. I love this idea of like really living our lives on purpose. In closing, I want to share with our listeners a daily reflection that you have in the book. And so here are some questions, mamas, that you can ask yourself this evening. One, what did I like most about my day? Two, what would I like to have spent more time doing? Three, what would I like to have spent less time doing? And four, how can I make that happen? Everyone, you can check out Laura's podcast, Best of Both Worlds, co-hosted with Sarah Hart Unger. And where else can our listeners find you, Laura? Well, they can come find me on my website, lauravandercam.com. And if they can check out the new book, Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And you can find that also on our show notes at atomicmoms.com. Follow us on Instagram, leave comments in our posts, Facebook. If you answer a few questions, you can join our special community and leave a written review on iTunes. That helps other mamas find us. Oh, do me a favor. Share this episode with three friends, please. Come on. You you got three friends you can share this with, right? All right, everybody. Thank you, Laura, so much for coming on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Until next week, listeners, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms.